0: Hey everyone! Last week, in part one of our conversation with writer Deborah Schaus, we talked about what inspired her to write her book, Love in the Land of Dementia Finding Hope in the Caregiver's Journey, a powerful story about the challenges and moments of joy Deborah experienced caring for both parents after her mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. The book has been used to help raise over $80,000 for dementia programs. And along with her partner, Ron, Deborah's held workshops and performed live reenactments of her stories for Alzheimer's associations and care partners all over the world. If you missed part one of our conversation, head on back to episode 52 of the AgeWise podcast and get all caught up on the story. And now, part two of our conversation with Deborah, where we get a sneak peek into her forthcoming book from Central Recovery Press. So let's talk about your other book, the new one, Connecting in the Land of Dementia, Creative Activities to Explore Together. Um, Mm -hmm. I think consciously or not, many of us feel like people with dementia are just unreachable. But you have a more hopeful view. You believe there are creative possibilities inherent in being a care partner for someone living with dementia. Tell us about the movie Alive Inside and how it inspired you to write this book.
1: Well, Alive Inside is um, a remarkable movie that I first learned about because Ron and I were screeners at the Kansas City Film Festival. And the director of the film festival called us and said, there's a movie that um, we might be able to get and they knew, you know, we were really interested in dementia and we want you guys to see what you think. So we watched this movie, which is the story of Dan Cohen, a social worker from New York who is driving along one day, listening to songs on the radio and thinking, what am I going to listen to if I'm ever in a nursing home? What technology will I have? And he got very curious about that. And he called around and found that most homes didn't have technology. And he started thinking about what would music and technology do for people. And he developed this program called Music and Memory, which is an international program at this time, with a simple and profound concept. You create a playlist of people's favorite and most memorable songs throughout their lives. You put a headset on them, and you let them play. And these people will come to life very often. And this movie was a documentary about Dan's program. So you see a gentleman in a stereotypical position of a person, who's living with dementia, slumped over in a wheelchair, unresponsive, you see a person putting a headset on him and turning it to a song, turning the music to a song he loved when he was in his 20s, and his head comes up and a smile forms and he starts dancing his feet around and he starts mouthing the words. And this is the story of this movie over and over again so naturally we saw this movie we wanted to bring it to Kansas City we helped raise money to bring it here we invited our Alzheimer's Association all the key people came at the end of the movie they said we want this program here and we all worked together to bring that program to Kansas City but meanwhile I wanted to write about this. And so I went to a magazine that I really like, and I said, I'd like to write about this music and memory program. They said, well, that's fine, but what else is going on (laughs) in this field? I didn't know the answer. So I started looking around. And as I was writing this article, which is really hard to write for some reason, I was talking to Ron about this article is really hard to write, and it's really interesting. And I had one of those aha moments like, I'm supposed to write about this. And so I started looking further to see who else was doing this work. And there are people all over the world who are doing fascinating, creative, artistic, imaginative work with people in all stages of dementia, which means that there is hope there is energy, there's a lovely chance to stay connected throughout the journey.
0: Why does creativity and imagination matter? That's the title of your first section, Creativity and Imagination Matter. Why?
1: After the rational mind gets clouded or deteriorates some, those qualities are still there. So you can still engage and connect through those. And I was just lucky to be led from one creative person to another. There's programs in art. There's art gallery tours. There are painting opportunities. There's all kinds of music, movement, um, ideas for cooking, gardening, nature, technology, all tailored to... People who are living with dementia. And what, what I particularly love about this, it's great for care partners too. Mm-hmm. It, because a lot of times, I mean, I, I would really think in advance about, and I'm sure this happens with you and many other people, what are we going to do today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're not going to like have your normal conversation possibly. So, what can we do that will focus on something else? And what this does is it allows you to bring, you know, engagement and opportunities for creative exploration to yourself and to people who are living with dementia. I, when I interviewed these wonderful experts, I then created what I call Creative Sparks, and they're sort of the how-to. Here's how you can do this. At home or mm-hmm. in a care facility, if mm-hmm. you're a professional care partner. The book works for anybody who wants to connect with someone who's living with dementia. You do not need any special talents. That's what I like about it.
0: Mm-hmm. You make a really great point that too often people with dementia are entertained instead of engaged. Why is it important to make this distinction? And tell us what you think some of the benefits of creativity are versus pure entertainment. Right.
1: One thing that happens oftentimes and I've seen this with a number of friends who are living with dementia. So one moment we're a high functioning individual who has work and is driving around and managing a house and you know, maintaining relationships and a typical busy life. And then when you're diagnosed with dementia, oftentimes that stops. And particularly if you have early onset, there's an abruptness to it. And so you've been living a meaningful life. And just because you're diagnosed with cognitive impairment or dementia does not imply you cannot live a meaningful life. And in fact, I was just talking to Michelle Needens here at our Alzheimer's Association, and one of the things she was saying is that creativity, time in nature, and an opportunity to give back are some key components to having a meaningful life. So it's great to be entertained. We all like to be entertained. But we wouldn't enjoy being entertained all day, every day without a sense of purpose or creation in our lives. And so to honor people who are living with dementia with the same gifts that they have a lot to give, there's a gardening program I really like where a woman named Lori Condict, who's in another part of Missouri where they all grow their garden and then they give back to the community they give to the food bank in their community the proceeds of their garden. Wow. And it's just very meaningful. There's a number of programs like this I mean that's part of being a whole human being is being able to share with other people There's another great story about, you know, just cooking and serving food. For a lot of people, cooking and baking and sharing that with other people has been a big part of life. And so just because you can't remember a recipe and might not be able to whip the ingredients together like you used to doesn't mean you can't be part of the whole experience and still get the joy of sharing something you've created with other people. And I have lots of examples of projects like that that you can do together.
0: Mm -hmm. Can you give us an example of the role that creativity played in caring for your own mom?
1: Yes. For my mom, creativity took many forms. My mom fell in love with a baby doll. And this was very interesting. There's kind of a debate among people in the care community about if this is a good thing or not, but I personally think whatever comforts a person and gives them joy is a good thing. So this was an act of great creativity for my mom in talking to the... I was envious of this baby doll for a while. (laughs) I do have to confess, because here is my mom holding this doll. Here is her real baby, me, sitting right beside her, I am getting zero attention. Mm-hmm. The doll is being talked to and cradled. But it was wonderful because it brought my mom to life. And I think one thing that happens is that when you're feeling confused, I mean, we all know what it feels like to either make a mistake, not find the right word, when this is happening to you many times a day and people are correcting you, you feel ashamed and afraid to speak. And a large part of inviting people to be creative is to open the invitation to whatever they want to say or do so that there's no right or wrong answers. When you're looking at art, the questions are, what does this feel like to you or what do you see? Mm -hmm. So you're not asking specific questions. You're inviting a creative answer And the studies have shown that people who are engaged in expressive arts and creative activities often need fewer psychotropic medications, have less agitation, are more socially engaged, and are generally happier and more content. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's what we all want. I mean, one of the big messages I got is we're all the same. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... You know, I would be the same way if somebody was doing an art project with me. I really can't draw. I like to, but I can't. I would like for somebody who wanted to do an art project with me to guide me a little bit, but let me be, to not criticize anything I do, to offer support or encouragement if I need it, and to just let me enjoy myself. Yeah. And that's a lot of this, is just... That permission to play
0: and create—that's such a great point. Because let's face it, for most of these people, you're meeting them at a time in their life when they've accomplished things. Absolutely. And so they want to—they want to feel like, well, what else can I accomplish? I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm—I'm I'm done.
1: Yeah, but but they're not. But they're not and, right. And for for anybody who has ever seen the art that people create in memories in the making, which is um National Art Project that the Alzheimer's Association developed, you look at the art that people living with dementia create, it is stunning. There is some stunning art. And one of the things Michelle was saying is the colors. There's such a vibrancy. Ron's dad had dementia, Uh and he had been an architect at one point in his life, and he created some really beautiful art during his final years. Yeah.
0: Are both of his parents gone?
1: Both of his parents are gone, and both of them had dementia. So we got to really practice and see how things evolved, you know, from mm-hmm. my mom to mm-hmm. and his mom. And We were really lucky with his mom. Our hospice had music therapy and art therapy, and we all did that together. And it was mm. great.
0: Were they resistant at all? My mom, I think, is a little bit resistant to all this because she's mm-hmm. kind of depressed a little bit.
1: Yes, they were resistant. Ron's dad wasn't resistant, but his mom was very resistant. And we'd say, Emily, the music therapist is coming. And she'd say, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... What I noticed, and she'd sit there and she'd have her arms folded across her chest and not be doing anything, and then Emily would start singing My Heart in San Francisco, and Molly would start kind of humming along a little bit, you know, so you could see it was Mm -hmm. working, but she couldn't enjoy it. But one of the things I learned from one of the early people I interviewed, a wonderful artist named Ari Albright in South Dakota, She said, make sure when you invite people to participate, you're not saying, hey, do you want to do art with me? Because they're going to say what probably most of us would say, oh, I can't draw. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's for kids. She says, say, hey, do you want to help me a minute? Want to help me with this project?
0: That's a great piece of advice. It it
1: really is, and that makes such a difference. Mm -hmm. Again, we're all kind of like this. Many of us have been scarred from early teaching, you know, where they say, that doesn't look like a dog, and we carry that
0: with us. Right, and you don't want to fight those old battles anymore. No, no, Uh -uh. It's time to move on. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's nothing like a sickness to really galvanize that feeling, like, okay, you know, I can choose to fight these old battles. And some people do, that's the reality. But I'd like to think the healthier ones among us choose to let go of old stuff and keep reinventing ourselves and our relationships with our loved ones. You know, Deborah, a real challenge for caregivers is really just making time to be with a loved one. They've got, you know, they got kids to care for, spouses, jobs, partners, people need to work, they need to make money, they need to afford care, you know? Mm -hmm. What would you say to the caregiver who says, I don't have time for creative activities, or "or I'm not creative, or my mother won't remember anyway? What do you say to that person? Because time is a, is a real issue here. It really is.
1: And I really appreciate something that Mara Batonis said, and she's another great advocate and author of a book called When Caring Takes Courage. She says she learned that creative activities are as important as the daily task of life. So she said at first she thinks, oh, I have to shave my grandfather, I have to put on a clean shirt every time it gets spot." She said what she learned is it was equally important to share some connective time. So you are so right. It is a huge, exhausting, challenging, and interesting work to be a full-time caregiver care partner or even be make time to visit, but the rewards are immense. They are immense for both of you because creating something together is really a special thing and it gives you a focus, it transports you out of this sort of survivalist mode that we all get into and puts you in a different space.
0: I think we're at a really interesting time right now in this country's history. I'm not terribly optimistic that either mm-hmm. candidate is going to embrace the challenges of long-term care, but I really believe it's people like you who are developing the most interesting models and coming up with the most interesting solutions to how how to enrich the lives of not just people with dementia, but their care partners.
1: And and you're and you're doing this work, and the wonderful thing about it is we can I'll do it because sharing stories is one of the best ways to reduce the stigma of living with dementia, to reduce the isolation that care partners often feel. And so that's what I love is that any person can reach out and share an experience with a friend. Not everyone can listen to it. We know that, but many people can. And I think people are scared of it. They don't know what to do. But when they learn some simple things to do, it's quite delightful to spend time with people who are living with dementia.
0: Yeah. So recognizing, you know, that there's a broad range of behavior in people with Alzheimer's and related dementia, what are some practical tips you think people can use right now to be effective caregivers for people with dementia?
1: I think one thing is to try to meet people where they are so if somebody is waiting for their husband to come pick them up and that person is actually deceased then just try to find out where are you going can I give you a ride and one of the things I have really enjoyed having reinforced from talking to all these different experts is how important it is to not be correcting people all the time. That's one of the things that kind of, when it sunk into me, as I was telling you my big realization that we're all the same, I'm like that. I really don't like to be corrected a
0: lot. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither.
1: (laughs) I mean, you know, I make a mistake. I like to be informed of that. But, I mean, if you're constantly correcting someone or you're constantly... Out of your good heart, there's nothing, it's just a natural thing to want to set people straight, to want to connect with people the way you used to. But it's something we have to learn to let go of if we want to keep a good relationship going for most of us. So I think that's a big thing. Another huge thing for care partners is asking for help and asking for help before you're desperate. And people, love to help. And to be as specific as you can be, when you ask for help, I could use a meal once a week. I could use somebody to sit with my beloved. I could use somebody to come with me to visit. It's really hard for me to go visit right now. These little things, people
0: love to do that. And they're there. I think one of the biggest things for me was to learn to ask for help from the right people. Just stop asking for help in places where I'm not going to get it and put that aside and say, that person's not going to help me. Just give up. Try these other people.
1: I think you've made a really powerful comment because if you ask for help and you don't get it, you are tempted to go, oh, I'm all alone. No one will help me. I mean, that would be my temptation too. And what you've said is, no, you just haven't reached the person who would really enjoy being part of this process. There are plenty of people out there. There's organizations, associations that have help available, and it's wonderful to have help. The other huge thing is to take care of yourself as a care partner. I was just talking to a friend of mine who is a care partner. Her mom's in a home. She's, my friend is kind of going crazy. She said, OK, take care of myself. How do I do that? I said, well, you can start by making a list of ten little things you like to do. You know, they're a sure thing for you. Walk outside for ten minutes, eat a bar of chocolate, read a magazine, take up, you know, anything, and just have that list and make sure you do at least one of those things every day. And even though it's hard to say, I'm going to take ten minutes for myself, You need to take time for yourself.
0: It's really, really important. I think it's really hard for people. I don't know. I could be wrong about this. But I think one of the reasons it might be so hard is because you feel like you're so overwhelmed. There's nothing that you can do for yourself that will make you feel better. Just so why bother? You know, just keep going. I think starting small is a really important point. I had to learn that. I, started, I used to go for walks every morning when I was living with my mom, and I pushed myself to go out that door and just go for those long walks, and they were so helpful. But I think yes. I think we're, we, we're resistant to this idea because we just think there's nothing in the world that's going to make me feel better right now. So um, I might as well accomplish something instead. Right. I, I think that is
1: such a temptation, but as you just so eloquently said, when we take the time to do something we know is going to make us feel better, our attitude is stronger, we can give more and less time
0: to our wonderful person. So, can you tell us about the Hero Project? I saw that on your website, and I'd like to know more about it.
1: I would love to share that with you. That is a really fun project. We started years ago when my nephew was coming to visit us. Mom was in dementia phase, and he was a little bit scared of her. And so my parents were going to be with me at that same time and I was trying to think of what can we all do together as a group activity that will help us all feel comfortable together. So my nephew was about 10 at the time. He was really big into superheroes and being strong. <laughs> so I created this very simple story about the strongest boy in the world. Now it's my nephew. And then I engaged my parents to be part of this, so the three of us, I photographed them. This was before a digital cell phone, so it's actual photographs. Mm-hmm. I photographed them acting out this story, which is the strongest boy in the world could move anything. He could move a car, he could move a water tower. Illustrated all this with pictures, but he couldn't move Nana, and there's my mom. Sitting in a chair, her arms folded, a posture she really liked then (laughs) 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 and not budging. Which was kinda normal. And he didn't know how to and he tried pushing and pulling, he tried this and that, and so he's decided to wise old man. My dad decided to
0: what? I'm sorry?
1: Consult a
0: wise old man. I
1: see. Which was my dad. And my dad gave him the advice there's something more powerful than strength, and that is love. And so my dad called out to Nana in a loving voice, and she moved. (laughs) And that's sort of the story. So it's kind of a schmaltzy story. It's got a moral, but it was great for all of us. My nephew wrote out the story in his hand. We did the photo shoot together. We collaged and kind of scrapbooked it in a very casual way. And then we shared it with people. There were a, a lot of my parents' friends who were backing away because they didn't know what to do. And we sent this out to people to say, here we are, we're still having fun, we're still here, come see us, call us, come play with us. It was a great project. Hmm. We did this many times. We did it the first Thanksgiving. My mom couldn't cook. Hmm. And so that was kind of a big thing. And I wanted to take the focus away from my mom can't cook to let's do something else. So we made up a little story that featured my kitchen called The Little Kitchen That Could. (laughs) And we had so much fun. We put mustaches on the pots and pans and faces on the vegetables. And we just concocted a little story about a kitchen that never did any work. That was my kitchen. And then a world-famous <laughs> chef flew in. That was my brother. And then we had all these sous chefs, and that was my parents and my kids and, you know, the rest of us. And the pots and pans were going crazy. And, and so we made it fun. And we all did it together as a family activity. We did one for Ron's dad that was really fun for his birthday one year, and it was called Lucky Frank, because Ron's dad, Frank, was very lucky, and he loved to gamble and play cards. And even into dementia, he always won. We did a story about Lucky Frank, and what I really love about this story, we said, Frank, he couldn't remember all his past adventures, but he still remembered Molly, his wife. Hmm. And so he was still lucky in love even after he couldn't remember everything. Oh, wow,
0: that's great. So we
1: kind of did a life, you know, a little life review about all the lucky things and illustrated with pictures. And that's something Ron's mom did with us during a time where she was struggling because her husband was going through dementia, Ron and I, and then Frank approved it. And then what was so great he moved from assisted living in the same building to a memory unit, and we used that for all the staff to get to know him. It was easy to read. It gave him, you know, he has two sons, he has a brother, he has this. It, in like 10 pages, we kind of told his life story with illustrations uh-huh. very briefly so people could get a flavor of him and know who he was.
0: And so, who is. so these are workshops that you do where you combine storytelling and scrapbooking. Is that, yeah. is that the the deal? Okay. Yeah.
1: And then you know people can just do this on their own yeah. at home too. There's no science to it. It's just you know what you said about not being ashamed or not minding making a mistake. You you have to be a little silly to write a yeah. story. I don't personally don't have any problem with that. But some no people do. Yeah. So <laughs> if you're willing to have fun and just write any kind of little story, it is an amazing thing to do together.
0: And you know what? It's liberating. It It is is
1: liberating, and it helps you celebrate the person. And what Ron used to go, read the book to his dad every time he visited, and his dad loved hearing this book and seeing the pictures. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have to remember, who is this person, who is this person. It
0: was a story. It was a story. So when will Connecting in the Land of Dementia be released? And since the book's not available now, um, can it be pre-ordered?
1: Yes, thank you for asking me that. Yes, it'll be released in late September, and it can be pre-ordered either online or at your favorite independent bookseller. And I am so excited about sharing this with as many people as possible.
0: Yeah, well, let me ask if you have any last thoughts. I guess my last
1: thought is that for me, the practice of gratitude has been really key in having a good experience in the land of dementia and really appreciating my mom for who she was all through the journey, my dad, and myself. And the self, I think, is the hardest person to really appreciate, but I love the idea of the care partner really nurturing and taking care of his or herself as an integral part of this journey it's such a relief when we start doing that and it, it enriches it for all of us.
0: Deborah Schaus, she's the author of Love in the Land of Dementia Finding Hope in the Caregiver's Journey, and the soon to be released book Connecting in the Land of Dementia Creative Activities to Explore Together. And listeners, be sure to visit the AgeWise website for a link to Deborah's books and her amazing work with her partner, Ron. Deborah Schaus, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a great conversation. I've loved talking with you.
1: I feel the same way. Thank you.
0: That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. The AgeWise podcast is produced and edited by me, Jana Panaritis. and you can listen to the show and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The AgeWise podcast is also distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. And don't forget to check out our website for more amazing caregiving stories from the field. Go to agewise.com. That's A G E W Y Z or Zed, as my Canadian mother says, and find out how you can be a guest on the show. Remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.